Let's go before our Lord in prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. He still remembered the very first morning that his family told him this is what he needed to do. He still remembered the first time being carried through that crowd, and he still remembered the nervous feeling that that brought about in him. He still remembered being carried to the top of those 15 steps, those staircases that were round and led to those magnificent and mighty tall doors. He still remembered seeing that gate for the very first time, the gate that they call beautiful. He still remembered looking and seeing the silver and gold that covered it and looking and seeing on it the brass doors that were mighty and magnificent. He still remembered sitting there and looking out over the royal city of Jerusalem, out past the people and to the hills, the Garden of Gethsemane and the Mount of Olives. He still remembered watching the people pass by in front of him and not notice him as if he wasn't even there. He remembered snapping out of it and recalling that he wasn't there to take this all in, but he was there to beg. He was there to pray on the consciences of those who were coming to the temple to pray. His fellow Israelites, Israelites who also knew it was their civil and religious duty to take care of people, well, like him, people who were disabled. And so he still remembered the very first time that he stuck his hand out and looked at the people passing by and mouthed the words, please help me. If you've been with us for the past couple weeks, you know that we are in the middle of a sermon series called Blueprint, God's plan to build his church. Over the first three weeks of this series, we rolled out the blueprint, if you will, and took a step back and a big look at God's plan and what it is to build his church. We saw that the foundation was set on Jesus Christ. We saw that we have a role to play in building his church as witnesses. But I'm glad you're here this morning because our sermon series is going to take a little bit of a shift. Well, actually, we're going to zoom in on God's blueprint, his plan to build the church. Moreover, we'll zoom in on people, the people that God uses to build his church as we see lessons from their life that teach us what our role is in building God's church. This morning, the people that we look at will be familiar and also one not so familiar. We'll look at the apostles, Peter and John, and a new friend that they met on their way to the temple. We're in Acts chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. It'll be printed on the screen behind me and also in your bulletins. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going to, into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Peter looked straight at a man who was expecting to get one thing from him, and he says, look at us. He says, I don't have your money, 
but what I do have is something far better that I'm going to give you. The other day, I was talking to one of my friends about the Bible character that he would most like to meet from Scripture. And he said, for the pure entertainment value of what might come out of the outspoken man's mouth next, he would like to meet the Apostle Peter. I mean, think about it. Here is the man who on the pages of Scripture, we see Jesus walk on water. And what's his response? He's not sure if it's Jesus, so he says, hey, Jesus, if it's really you, why don't you tell me to hop out of this boat? And Peter says, okay, Jesus, hop on out. And you know how that story goes. Here's the man who sees Jesus, Elijah, and Moses transfigured on the mount, and he has the idea of, hey, this is the perfect time. Hey, guys, what do you think? I'm going to build three shelters so we can all stay right here. I mean, here's Peter. Here's the guy who Jesus said, listen, you all are going to turn your backs on me. And he said, nope, not me. Jesus, I got your back, even if no one else does. Well, and just a few hours later, he disowns them thrice. Here's Peter. Here's Peter, a man who has been changed. See, just a month ago, he saw his Savior rise into heaven. And now, and now, he's the one who knew what Jesus meant for his life. Here's the one who preached to a crowd of 3,000 that they need to repent, turn from their sins, and believe in Jesus. And by God's grace, 3,000 were added to the Christian church that day. Here's the man who walks up to a beggar who's looking for money, and he says, look at me. I have something to give you. Oh, and it's remarkable, really, because just, just less than a year later, what happened was the gospel account that we read for today. We're in John chapter 9, verse 2. Jesus and his apostles also came about by a man who had been lame, who had been disabled, excuse me, blind from birth. And this time, they didn't talk to this man with faith and conviction and say, hey, look at us. We have a message for you. But rather, they asked a question that perhaps many of us ask as well. Jesus, why did this happened to him was was it because he sinned or was it because of his parents who sinned you see that's a question that a lot of us wonder in the presence of suffering whether it's our own or somebody else's we wonder why why god why why is it that despite the spat despite the fact that i work very hard despite the fact that you see me trying to be a good steward of my money well difficult Things that happen and cost me money keep happening one after another. Why? God, why is it that I wake up in the morning and my own self-talk is the biggest challenge of my life? I feel worry and anxiety about what I'm going to do, and I feel defeated and worthless after the things that I do do. Why? Why is it so difficult to get out of bed some mornings? God, why is it that I have to watch my parents suffer? Why is it that I have to deal with this chronic pain? Lord, I'm, I'm too young for this. Kids, why is it that you get bullied at school? Parents, why is it that it's your child that gets bullied and picked on? Why is it that it's my family, despite the fact that we are in church every Sunday, we find no shortage of things to argue about, whether it's siblings or parents and children or husband and wife? Why is it that it's 2017 and yet uh, 
conversations about racial tension are still happening? Why is it that natural disasters are occurring one after the other? And why is it that there are people that can't find aid? Why is it that there's poverty in our own backyard? Why, why, why? There's a lot of things. There's a lot of suffering that we experience. There's a lot of suffering and challenges and sorrow that we see in the world. And if we ask that question often enough, and if we ask it serious enough, well, we'll find an answer. Typically, there's three ways, three ways that you can address that, that question about why. Why, God, do you put difficulties in our life? You can ask it from an intellectual standpoint. You can try to ask it in a way where you wrap your mind around it. You say, okay, well, if there is a God who is all-powerful, and if he really can stop suffering, why doesn't he? And ultimately, the conclusion is, well, maybe he's not all-powerful. You say, maybe we have a God who is all-loving, right? Well, if he cared so much, why does he let bad things happen to my family? Or maybe, maybe he isn't all-powerful. Maybe he isn't all-loving. Or maybe the God we call God isn't, isn't God. If you ask that question intellectually, what you'll do is not find an answer to why suffering, to why bad things happen. But if you're following along in our sermon guide today, that's our first fill in the blank. Asking the question why intellectually just leaves you godless. And then I don't imagine a church full of people or maybe not anyone here would go so far as to say there is no God in my life. Think about the way you act in the middle of suffering. Do you abandon God? Do you shake your fist at him, point your finger at him with bitterness and anger and say, God, look at what you're doing to my life. I'm not going to fill in the blank. If, if you don't give me happiness, if you don't give me joy, if you don't alleviate this trial, you can ask the question intellectually or you can ask the que question existentially, meaning in a way that tries to figure out why we exist, what's our purpose. The famous, the famous uh, philosopher and biologist Richard Dawkins says this. He says, the total amount of suffering per year in the natural world is beyond all decent contemplation. In a universe of blind physical for forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt. Other people are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect. If there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. If you try to answer the question why from an existential point of view, what do you find? What do you find is the reason for sorrow? There is no reason. In fact, our life is purposeless when it comes to matters of suffering and sorrow. And so eat, drink, and be merry, right? For tomorrow we might die, and if we don't die, well, at least, at least we pursue happiness because that's the only point, right? Well, try drinking from that cup when the news comes back that the cancer is not going away. Try drinking from that cup when you have to tell a young child that the illness that they have is terminal. You have to sense that there is more than a purposeless life. And again, while none of us here would say there's no reason for living that we have as Christians, and even if we're suffering, we do have a point, do we act that way in the midst of sorrow? Do we act that way when challenges are going on in our life? Or do we despair? Look at the opportunities that God has given us, the things that God has granted us, 
and forget about them because we hang our head and we throw pity parties as though that will change anything. Now, asking the question why, why does God allow evil, does he allow suffering, intellectually leads you godless, existentially leaves you purposeless, but try answering it piously. Here's what I mean by that, piously, in a way that really proves how religious someone is. There was a man named Joseph Bailey. He was a Christian author, and Joseph is in heaven now, but while he lived on earth, he had three sons. And during his lifetime, he and his wife lost all three of their sons. The first one they lost at 18 days due to complications of a surgery. The second they lost at five years old due to leukemia. And the third one they lost at 18 years old in a sledding accident. You talk about parents, you talk about a, a father and a mother and a family that asks that question, why? Why is there evil? Why is there grief upon grief in our life? Well, Joseph wrote a short uh, memoir called A View from a Hearse as a meditation on the grief he was experiencing. In the, story, in the book, he tells a story about uh, something that happened at one of his son's funerals. During the funeral, there was an open chair next to he and his wife, and a gentleman came and sat down next to him. The man came in and he, from the get-go, started to address that question, why, with Joseph. He said, Joe, why? Why did God take your sons? Well, he's got a plan for you. Why did he take your sons? Well, he's going to give you strength. He quoted the famous Romans 8, 28, which says, hey, why? God works all things together for the good of those who love him. He even went so far as to say, why is this happening? Well, it's because God wanted your son with him. And during all of this, Joseph said he went on and on and on, and he just could not wait for him to leave. Because he said, yes, I know that God has a plan, but that doesn't bring me any joy right now. Yes, I know that God wants all people with him in heaven, but don't you realize I want my son too? And what he realized is answering it piously, giving all of the Christian pat answers to why suffering happens doesn't solve the question, but it leaves us comfortless. But then another man followed him and actually came and sat right back down in the same seat the first man was sitting in. He came, sat next to Joseph and his wife, and he didn't say one word. He didn't try to quote any scripture he didn't try to answer the question why. He didn't lecture Joseph and his wife about things that he thought would help them. In fact, he didn't say anything at all. He didn't say anything unless Joseph spoke. He replied. He only listened. And then he got up. He asked if he could pray with him, and he walked away. And in his book, Joseph Bailey says, I couldn't stand to see him leave. So why is it that the first person that offered all of the explanation for the reason why didn't provide any comfort, but the second person, well, who said nothing, perhaps did? And the reason is because our God doesn't give us nice, neat, and concise essays every time we deal with trials. He doesn't give us a nice explanation about here's why you're going through what you're going through. In fact, you read throughout scripture and you won't find one specific reason about why suffering happens, about why trials come into our life. 
And so it's arrogant for a Christian to step back and say, this is why suffering happens. This is why you're going through what you're going through. That's why it's silly that the apostles asked Jesus, why? Why did this man go blind? Was it his parents' sin or was it his sin? What made it happen? But why it makes so much sense what Jesus replied. He said, this happened so that the power of God might be displayed. And this is why Peter and John looked at that man and said, look at us. Because this, this is what scripture tells us. This is how we answer biblically that question, why? God grants challenges in my life. Why? Well, he does it to change my focus from myself to Christ. There could be a million different reasons that we'll find out in heaven about why he gave us a particular challenge, a particular sadness at a certain point in our life. But one thing we do know for sure is that God gives trials. He grants them. He allows them to happen, to take our focus off ourself, to take our focus off our own situation, to take our focus off our own solution and fix our eyes on Christ. Acts chapter 3 at verse number 4. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Jump to verse 11, but don't worry, we'll come back to this. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that he has been completely healed as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, that is, even Jesus. All of those questions that we ask, why, 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 does God even exist? All of that fish shaking and all of that finger pointing, what it really does is forfeit the very thing, the very thing that when we focus on it, gives us peace and perspective to our suffering. The truth, the truth that God did something about suffering. The truth that God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets saying that his Messiah would suffer. That his son, our savior, his Jesus, 
our Jesus would suffer and he would do it willingly for us. Why? So that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that we can hope in a Christ, in a Savior who has been appointed for you. That means has been appointed to be by your side. That has been appointed to never leave you and never forsake you. Who has been appointed to be with you in every trial and in every difficult thing. That is what changes people. That is what gives hope. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that completely healed that man, and it is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that completely heals you and me, gives hope and gives courage and faith to you and I. It is Jesus' name alone who lets us know that amidst our suffering, we're not alone God didn't leave us in the cold, but instead he sent his son, a son and a savior and a God who is not far off, but who is with us, a God who came and who was bloodied for us, a God who experienced what it's like to be alone because it was our sins that caused him to be disowned, a God who was tortured because he was traded for a murderer, but a God who did it willingly, a God who took on our shame, who took on our pain, who took on our suffering. Why? So that we won't have to. And so that by faith in the name of Jesus, you are made strong. As I read through Acts chapter 3 and prepared for our sermon this morning, what struck me was the fact that as Peter is giving this sermon, this great sermon on what Christ did for us and explaining why it is that this man who was lame is now healed, he starts all the way back talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He talks all about what Christ went through. Why? Well, so that you and I realize when we go through challenges, when we go through trials, that the same God, the same God that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the God of history who is working with you by sending a savior to suffer for you so that you and I climb that hill called Calvary with Jesus and from there, from that perspective, from the foot of the cross, look out at all the challenges in our life and from that vantage point, knowing the good news of what Christ has done, look out at everything and from there, understand why it is that God gives suffering. No, the cross doesn't give us the reason why, but it gives us the essential perspective that we need to deal with the suffering in our life, to deal with the challenges, so that as we go through and we know that we are not without a God, to know that we are not just going about pointlessly or that we are not going about without comfort, but knowing this, that because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus. Our light and temporary affliction is producing for us an eternal glory that far outweighs our troubles. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is temporary, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. God grants challenges in our life. He does it so that we fix our eyes not on ourselves, but on Him. And it's so important that during those times we look at Christ because it is Christ that God gave us for my life, to change it, my eternity, that is, from death to life. That's why God changes us. 
That's why God challenges us, and so that in the midst of things that do challenge us, we focus on Christ. Peter and John, they were changed men. Throughout their ministries, they had walked and talked with Jesus and still not understood what it is that he was about. But they watched Jesus ascend. They experienced the Holy Spirit coming and giving them the gift of the Holy Spirit so that they understood what he was all about. They knew that Jesus, this this man who was their friend, was really the author of life. And he had given healing to them by fixing their greatest need, healing them from their sin. And so that's why these changed people changed people. That's why Peter and John stopped and looked at that man and took care of his physical need, yes, but pointed him to a greater spiritual need that had been taken care of. Peter went on to preach a message about what Christ has done, changing all of our lives. And 2,000 people, Acts chapter 4 tells us, were added to the Christian church that day. But the apostle Peter, he wasn't the only one that preached a sermon that day. No, Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. The lame man was a changed man. And he was changed because it was Christ who suffered for, he realized it was Christ who suffered for him and also took care of what he was suffering. And changed people change people. How? By pointing them to Christ. And you might say, well, that's all good. And of course, that this guy, when he pointed people to the Savior um, through his walking and jumping and praising God, could do that because, well, he was just miraculously healed. Say, Matt, I'm still going through some dark times. I'm still going through some trying times. How can I do that? How can, how can miracles happen like that today? They don't. And you're right. Not all the beggars at the gate called Beautiful were healed that day. And God doesn't promise to miraculously heal us in our outward sufferings. But what he does promise is this, is that by the Holy Spirit and by faith that comes through the name of Jesus Christ, he does something much more miraculous than healing a lame man. He changes our hearts. He changes our hearts so that in such a way we have a perspective on dealing with our suffering that nobody else in the world can have. A perspective that knows that these light and momentary troubles, they're what? They're achieving for us an eternal, eternal reward. Heaven with him. And it's with that that we can suffer. Would you mind unplugging the, uh, the cord from the phone and putting it into the computer? This past week, there was a pretty powerful example of what happens when someone who has been changed, someone who has been changed because of a trying and difficult time in their life, points to Christ as the reason and the hope that they have in the time of suffering. Uh, this past June, Representative Steve Scalise was shot as many of you know, all of you know, made national news. And this past Thursday morning, he came back to Capitol Hill and the first couple minute, the first minute actually of his uh, speech was, was pretty moving. Take a listen.
as you can imagine, these last three and a half months have been pretty challenging times for me and my family. Uh, but if you look at the outpouring of love, of warmth, of prayer, uh, my gosh, Jennifer and I have been overwhelmed with all of that outpouring. And it's given us the strength to get through all of this and to get to this point today. And it starts with God. When I was laying out on that ball field, the first thing I did once I was down and I couldn't move anymore is I just started to pray. And, and I will tell you, it gave me an unbelievable sense of calm, knowing that at that point it was in God's hands. But I prayed for very specific things. And I will tell you, uh, pretty much every one of those prayers was answered. And, and they were some pretty challenging prayers I was putting in God's hands. But uh, he, he really did deliver for me and my family. And it just gives you that renewed faith in understanding that uh, the power of prayer is something that you just cannot underestimate. It's pretty incredible. Over, well over hundreds of times, Representative Steve Scalise has been asked what, what has changed him from the experience that he went through. And he could. He could talk about a lot of different external things that I'm sure has changed his outlook on life. Changed the way he thinks about gun laws. Changed the way he thinks about working with both parties. Changed the way that he thinks about terrorism at home and abroad. But what he answers time and time again is that the change that took place was inside. A change that strengthened his faith in his Savior. You heard him say it. It all starts with God. And when we suffer, and then suffer in such a way where we point to God as the reason for being able to go through suffering, to be able to go through trials, that gives a powerful witness, a powerful witness to those who are watching. When you go through a difficult time with your family, when you go through an argument with your family, and you resolve it with forgiveness, when you go through busyness and deadlines at work with the peace that this world cannot give. When you go through a grieving time with family or friends and point to the victory that you have through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. When you raise your kids in a way to look at what life gives you in a way that always is mindful of what Christ gave us. When you talk to your neighbors and your friends about a sadness that comes in their life doing so by pointing to them that they can and will get through it because it is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that gives strength. When you do those things, well, people are changed. People are changed by you, changed people. Amen.